was uh, something interesting took place when uh, King Edward, uh, King Edward, ended up giving up his throne for the love of a woman. Some of you may see movies and renditions about that, but he abdicated his throne so that he could marry someone that the royal family did not approve of because she was a divorced woman. You guys remember the story? And so this woman who in the eyes of the crown was not worthy to be loved, he abdicated his throne and his responsibility, gave that all up so that he could uh, step down to you, if you will, to this common woman's life and marry her. And it's considered to be for many the love story of the ages. But you know, it's not the first time that a king gave up his throne for the love of a woman. Right? When Jesus came to earth, the Bible says that he abdicated his throne and he did it for the love of a woman. Isn't that what the church is called? His what? His bride. Jesus, almost 2,000 years before, you know, left glory and came to earth and gave up uh, all that was his so that he could come to earth for the love of his bride. For the love of his bride. And, you know, there's so many angles you can tell this story from. And there's one right there. You can, all the people who go, ooh, ah, about King Edward giving up his throne, you can say, well, Jesus did that 2,000 years before. And I want to show you significantly from Scripture uh, what that looked like uh, this morning. Turn your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. If you can't see the screen, verses uh, 5 to 11, let's uh, look at this this morning. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is an awesome scripture, one of my favorite passages, and not one which most of you would hear probably think is a great Christmas passage. And you're like, that's not Christmas Eve. Aren't we supposed to be reading about the nativity or something like that this morning? But I want to show you today how this is one of the probably the most powerful scriptures in the 15 minutes that I have uh, that there is regarding the story of Christmas and what transpired uh, in, the, in the eternal things, what transpired on that first Christmas. So, First thing we need to understand is that that scripture in verse 6 says, who being in the very form uh, of God, who being in the very form of God. And this, this actually, some people say that this, this particular passage of scripture was actually a hymn that was sung in the first century church, and that this constitutes the first stanza of the hymn. And in that stanza, they sing, uh, who being in the form of God, and uh, you know, if we understand the nature of what Jesus journeyed to the cradle to get to do for us, it changes significantly Christmas. And it says, in the uh, form of God. Now, that Greek word form, or the, that we translate into form in English, uh, there's two re- words that they use in the Greek language for that word form or the uh, nature of something. And the first one is schema, which means the outer appearance of a thing, or our skin, our hair, our shape. So we have the form, right? We have the form. 
uh, of humanity. We have the form, uh, you know, we like to tease Barry because he's supposed to have the form of a native, but he's so white that nobody would mistake that guy for a native if it wasn't for his haircut. You know, Barry, Barry cuts his hair like that thoroughly to legitimize his claim. That's what it's all about because otherwise that boy is as completely white as you can possibly get. And uh, so uh, the outer appearance of a thing, right, that tells us something about things. And then the other word is morphe, and this is the absolute unchanging essence of something. So when the Bible is using this word here, which word do you think it uses when it's describing the form that Jesus had uh, that he gave up in the scripture in Philippians chapter 2? It's the word morphe. Which word did he use? He used that word morphe. So when it, the scripture is using the word that he was in very form, that he was in very nature God, it doesn't mean that he looked like God or that he sounded like God or that he had God's color of skin or, or anything like that. That's, that's a very small understanding of the nature of God if you think like that. What he was actually saying is that the, he gave up the very essence, the very nature of the divine so that he could come to earth. That he, he th- threw off this, this very nature of the divine so that he could come and he could walk among us. This is an, a spectacular thing uh, for us to understand. That the creator of the universe took a, a, a form of a human being. And what did he have to, to do in order to be able to do that? Does everybody follow what I'm saying? And, and this word is, is helping us to understand just how much Jesus sacrificed so that he could be with us uh, on Christmas morning. Now, what I want to show you this morning is a little chart I made up here. This is the journey that Jesus took from the crown to the cross. So if you look up at the top, Jesus has always been. He's not created. How many know that? Father, Son, Holy Spirit have always been. The Holy Trinity has always been. Jesus did not have his beginning in Bethlehem. He only had his earthly beginning in Bethlehem. And so when Jesus uh, came to earth, he gave up his hold on the crown. That's why it says in many translations, it says he did not consider uh, equality with God something to be grasped or to be held onto. In other words, Jesus took uh, his throne and he relinquished it. He was willing to hand it over so that he could come to earth as a human being. So he gave up his hold on the throne. That is step number one. That is step number two. Then secondly, what did Jesus do? In his dissension, taking those stairs down to humanity, the second thing he did is that he made a choice to come to earth. Nobody was strong-arming Jesus. The Father didn't say, listen, if you don't go, if you don't go, then we're done. Right? Right? We have to understand that the the three-in-one, the perfect unity in the Godhead of our our Savior. That when Jesus came, he was perfectly on board with the mission that was before him. He was not manipulated. He was not in any way forced. He was only compelled by his own love for us, his bride. And he chose to come to the earth. And as we go further down the step, the third step, it says not only did he choose to come to the earth... But he chose to take on the nature of a servant. He didn't come as a king or a ruler or as a conqueror, uh, even though he would be those things one day. This first time he came, he came as a servant. He came as a servant. He took this voluntary nature. He morphed into a servant to come and to serve humanity. 
And that's why every time we see Jesus in Scripture, uh, he is bowing down to, to heal the leper. He is healing the woman with the issue of blood. He is washing his disciples' feet. He is taking on the posture of a servant. Jesus took on the posture of a servant when he came to earth. And how did he serve? Well, the first way he served is he, he entered the human race. He actually entered humanity itself. He came as a servant, but he came as a human servant. He didn't come as some kind of a, of a robotic servant, you know, we obviously all dream about. I wish I had a servant that could cook my meals and could do this and could do that. Uh, and we are all looking forward to the day when we have an Android that does all that stuff in the house for us so we don't have to do it. And, uh, you know, I read this article this week where they asked a scientist how many things in the Star Wars epic series are, are, are science fiction or science coming. Do you understand the difference? Fiction means it ain't never going to be, uh, and science coming means it's just around the corner or one day it'll be here. So of all the things that he debunked in the movies uh, from space travel, uh, you know, and all the rest of it that he just said is not possible, at least as far as we know with the laws of physics and all the rest of it, the one thing that he said is coming and is coming very soon was droids. That we are, we're going to be a, a culture filled with little robots doing all kinds of things for us. And if you don't believe that, then you need to know there are already places uh, in the world today where Amazon is delivering your parcels by drone. So radio-controlled drone comes and shows up at your house and sets a parcel on your front step and whisks away again and off it goes. And they're already doing that in different parts of the world, delivering your gifts by drone. Robots that are taking things. They've tested out tractor trailers with no drivers on board, autonomous tractor trailers in, in uh, England this year, driving in a caravan down the highway, delivering your goods with nobody behind the wheel. I know these are things that blow our minds, but the days are quickly coming when that we'll each have that kind of a servant, probably in our homes. We already, how many already have one of those little robotic vacuums that goes around the house? I know, Mike, you guys have one, don't you, Mike? Come on, you can admit it. You have one of those little robots that runs around the house and does the vacuuming. All of a sudden, it wakes up when you guys are away. It goes, this is a good time to do it. And it scoots around the house and knows when there's a set of stairs there and all that kind of stuff and vacuums your house for you when you're not even home. Well, we all dream about having these kind of little servants that will do that. Jesus didn't come in that way. He came as an actual human being. He came to service as a human being. And then he took on that form of, of a man. He, he came as a particular man of a particular height, a particular weight. I mean, uh, maybe facial hair. We all like to vision him with a nice beard, you know. Uh, Chuck's trying to imitate him back there uh, to the best of his ability. You know, we all have these different images of what this man looked like, but Jesus came uh, as a man. And this is where, interestingly enough, the uh, word used for appearance here is that other Greek word. So when it says, it talks about the nature that Jesus gave off, it says morphe. When it says he took on the appearance of a man, it uses the word schema. So in other words, Jesus took on the scriptures acknowledging that, that this form that he took on was a temporary form. It was a, it was a layer. It was a costume. It was, the, it was the divine putting on clay, so to speak. And so it, it recognizes that in the original language, things that get missed to us are so clear in the scripture when you realize what the scripture was actually saying. So he, he put aside his divinity and his crown so that he could take on the, the, the appearance of of the uh, schema of a man, and he did that for you and I. And then the Bible says in step six, as he further descends down uh, in his journey to the cross, he became obedient to death. He became obedient to death. 
Now, this one made me think for a minute. He didn't come into the world just to teach and to do miracles and to heal, but he actually came to die. This is a part of the story that we cannot miss, because if we do, we miss the entire story. Jesus didn't come just to set a good example. And there are lots of churches out there, lots of religions out there that want to tell us that Jesus was just a, a good teacher. He was a good man. He was setting a good example for us. And I want to debunk that this morning. That's not what he came for. He didn't just come to be a good example, although he is the best example. He came actually to die. Jesus came to die. That was his purpose. He came to die for us. He came to, to fulfill his call in his life. And this is an interesting thing. The Bible says that he, he chose to be obedient unto death. Now, this is something you have to understand about the divine. Only, only a being of Jesus' nature and caliber could choose to die. You say, well, what do you mean? People, that's what this whole fight in the country is right now about, is about choosing the right to be able to die. No, 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 no. That's just saying, that's just someone deciding, I want to accelerate that whole thing. I want to do it now instead of later. Right? But Jesus had the choice to live forever or to die. Jesus had the choice of being able to say, well, I, I just decide I'm not going to die. I'm just going to live in this form forever. And he could have done it. Only the divine had the choice to be able to say, I will choose death rather than to remain in this form forever. Do you understand the difference? It doesn't matter what people fight over in the courts about their, their rights to life and death. The reality is everybody dies. If you are living under any other delusion here this morning, I apologize. But guess what? It's been happening for millennia. Everybody is born, everybody has an entry date, and everybody has an expiration date. Only the divine could choose whether he was going to have an expiration date or not. Do you understand what I'm talking about now? And Jesus chose death for us. And the Bible says in the last step, not only did he choose death, but he chose to die on a cross. That he chose to die on a cross. But didn't the Roman soldiers put him on a cross? Yes, they did. But in the Old Testament, it talks about, you know, the one hung on a tree, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he fulfilled prophecies about his own, his own exit, his own death on our behalf. Jesus chose to be obedient to death, even, the Scripture says, death on a cross. Even the worst way they could think to kill somebody, the most humiliating way they could think to kill somebody. They didn't pick the cross because it was a humane way to die, just the opposite. It was a brutal way to die. It was a brutal way to die. And if you've ever done any studying into it, you know what I'm talking about. And we won't get into all of that this morning because we're here to talk about the birth, not in the deaths necessarily. But we can't understand and appreciate the birth if we don't know what the journey was that Jesus took. That he left the crown so that he could embrace the cross. That the cradle for him was a journey to a life of surrender to, uh, in a way that we can hardly even comprehend. It's very astounding for us to get a hold of it. Every step that Jesus took, all of those steps that you see, he made them a choice to take that step. Even at the end, Jesus is in the, in the garden and he says, Father, if there's any other way, right, then take this cup from me. But then he adds, but never, nevertheless, not my will, but so even in that moment when he's feeling all of the pain and the anguish 
of what his choices are and the culmination of all the suffering that he must endure for us, he's able to say, he's able to be, uh, submit him, himself in that uh, human nature and that human state that he's in to the will of the divine plan from the beginning and say, not this tense will, but your will be done. At every point we see Jesus submitting to the journey willfully, even when he knew exactly what was ahead for him even when he knew how painful and how difficult that journey would be. It's an astounding miracle when we realize that the God who made the universe, the universe, did you know how, it's, it's so hard for us to comprehend how big the universe is. And, uh, you know, what's his name, Guglio, he does a great video on, on how big the universe is. And I was going to show it today, but it's kind of long, so I decided not to. But just picture this for a moment. If you take our solar system, right? And you were able to reduce our solar system to the size of a loony, right? So I'm talking about from the sun all the way out to Pluto, which they can't decide whether it disqualifies as a planet or is disqualified as a planet. I think we're back to disqualified right now. But even if you, if you take it all the way out to Pluto and reduced it down to the size of a quarter, the next nearest star would be two football field lengths away. Just to make you think about that for a minute. That is how vast it is. The next nearest star, Alpha Premiera, is four light years or 4.2 light years from Earth. That means that if you took our solar system and you dropped this loony at the goal line on one football field, it would be two football fields in length before you got to the next star. And yet the, star, the, the universe is filled with billions of them. And the Bible says that he covers them by the breadth of his hand. That the, the divine, the divine who put all of the stars in place uh, had a plan for humanity in which he took that step of putting off his divinity and stepping into human form. It's almost impossible for us to comprehend what Jesus did when he became uh, a human person. But Lewis tries to help us out, and I'll quote him this morning. He said, the second person in God, the Son, became human himself, was born into the world as an actual man, a real man of particular height, with hair of a particular color, speaking a particular language and weighing exactly so many pounds. The eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that a baby, and before that a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think of how you would like to become a slug or a crab. You know, what would it be like for us to, to give up everything we have as a human being to come and, and walk the earth, or should we say, on the earth, on, as a slug? Do you know what I mean? Uh, it, it's, it's impossible for us to even comprehend that. And the level of reduction in comprehension that a slug barely knows anything. If you touch it, it'll try to move a little bit, maybe faster, but its comprehension level of its own existence and stuff is probably not there. And that's how much you'd be, be, be considering. You're, you can't even touch how much Jesus gave up to come and take our human form. That barely scratches the surface. Everybody understand what I'm saying today? And so on that first Christmas, the divine came and was born from the womb of a woman. And here's where, for me, the story is absolutely astounding. Frederick Buchner, a famous old preacher, said this, Jesus chose to be born in a stable to peasants, surrounded by field hands. If he would go there, then he would go anywhere. Listen to this this morning. 
And this means, he said, that we are never safe, that there is no place where we can hide from God, no place where we are safe from his power to break into and recreate the human heart. Because it is just where he seems most helpless that he is most strong, and just where we least expect him that he comes most fully, as he did in the manger. Of course, this means that God, too, and hear this this morning, is never safe from us. And maybe that's the dark side of Christmas. He came and he continues to come in such a way that we can always turn him down. We can always reject him. We can always walk away. God comes to us in the hungry people that we do not feed, in the lonely people we do not have to, uh, have to comfort, in all the desperate human need of people everywhere that we are always free to turn our backs upon. That's how God comes to us. The divine humbled himself and came as a baby. That people could reject if they chose to. I get asked all the time, if God's really God, then why is there war in the world? Why is there, you know, hunger in the world? Why are all these things? And, and the answer is because in the, the plan of God, in order to truly sacrifice for humanity, he had to take the humbling step to make himself vulnerable to all of the, the evil intentions of human heart. When Jesus was born as a baby, what was, and, and the wise men looking for direction to where he would be as they had followed the star that they saw uh, when they came from the east and they arrived. And Herod said, well, listen, uh, sounds like, he, you know, from what I could get from the Old Testament that he's going to be born in Bethlehem, right? And then they journey to Bethlehem and then Herod thinks to himself, what am I going to do? There's a king being born that's going to threaten my throne. And then you all know the story that as the, the Magi make their way to where Jesus was in Bethlehem, he puts out an edict that all of the boys to and under should be slaughtered and they have to escape to Egypt. Do you see right from the very beginning the vulnerability that Jesus put himself in? The vulnerability that he placed himself in as the divine, as he humbled himself and came as a baby. And God is still doing that today. Herod was able to reject him. Herod was able to put out a, a, a hit on his head. And today humanity does the same thing. They still have the, the power to love him or to leave him, to, to accept his gift or to reject it. He offers it from that same vulnerable position to us every day. And that's why there's evil in the world. Because people uh, have been given that, that power to either receive it or reject it. And when we reject it, we do very evil things to one another. Do we understand what I'm talking about today? Now, I can't answer for you the wisdom in making his choice to redeem mankind in that way. That part you'll have to leave with God. But I can tell you that the reason the evil exists in the world is because men reject that truth rather than accept it. When they accept it, worlds are changed. Cultures are changed. People are changed. Hearts are changed. And we become a different people, loving and concerned about one another. No longer rejecting the poor or the starving or the, the hurting or the, those in need of healing. Reaching out. We were in an airport and where were we? Houston? Right? And I don't know how my wife got into the conversation with a couple there, but she, you know, they were asking about what we do and she talked about different places that we travel, the ministry that we do and the needs in the world and talked about how 
you know, we even go to northern Ontario and to native communities there where the suicide rate is so horrific. And this young man pulls his, you know, he'd been listening to his Walkman, partially overhearing the conversation. And he says, I just wish they'd all go off and kill themselves and, and save us the trouble. Seriously. Did I just hear what I think I heard? For the first time in my wife's life, she was speechless. She said, she was, she said, honestly, she said, I was completely dumbfounded. She said, I, I just, I couldn't believe another human being would speak that way about another people. And then we got talking about it afterwards. Are there actually people who think that way in the world? Yes, there are. There are. That they look at a people in need and they just say, well, it's a problem. It should just go away. It's not a problem. It's an opportunity. No people group on the planet is a problem. They're an opportunity for us to love. They're an opportunity for us to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his mouth, to be his heart. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. Never a problem. It's never, ever, 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 ever a problem. It's just an opportunity. Whoops. I pushed one too many. How did I do that? There we go. Isn't this a neat little picture that I made up? Mary and Joseph traveling to the cross. In the background, Mary and Joseph holding the baby. And what's over the baby's head? A crown. Isn't that cool? <sighs> Amazing things you can do with technology today. But uh, this image, I think, captures for us the whole story. Jesus giving up the crown to become born in a manger so that he could die on the cross. That's the journey that Jesus took for every one of us. So let me close with this this morning. When you consider what Jesus gave up to come at Christmas for you, please, 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 I implore you this morning, never, ever again, never should you wonder whether Jesus loves you or not. Never should you wonder if God cares about me. Never again wonder whether he is concerned about your problems or how he feels about your pain. Never wonder if you're worthy to be loved because you are loved by the God of the entire universe who came so that he could give his life on a cross and redeem you and I from certain death. That's what he did for us. That's what the journey from the crown to the cross via Bethlehem was. It was so that he could come and love us. And then when you consider what Jesus gave up for you at Christmas, then never wonder again. I've had, I've had people say to me, how can I ever repay him? How can I ever repay him? I think this morning we've heard the answer to that question too. You know how to repay God, even though we really technically can't? You can repay him by loving the ones that he loves. You can repay him by serving the ones that he serves. You can prove that he loves them by the way you love them. Am I making any sense to anybody here this morning? If we, want to, if we want to help people understand Christmas, then we need to be Christmas to them. We need to come to them in that same vulnerable way that Jesus came to us. Now, here's the thing. You may get rejected. You may have people tell you off. You might have people just, you know, have nothing to do with your 
religion and your God and all the rest of it. But the Bible tells us that Jesus came in that kind of a humble posture to a human race that would largely reject him and gave his life for them so that he could lead them to the Father. You and I can do the exact same thing here this morning. We can never repay him for the sacrifice that he made, but we can, if you will, pay it forward, right? We can take what Jesus has done for us, and we can, we can love that thing forward to other people, and we can literally, by doing that, we can make it Christmas 365 days a year. We had someone posting on our, our webpage this week on Facebook saying, you know, uh, I don't know what, the, the, what, what their axe to grind is and, and why, you know, a desert stream, but anyway, you know, was Jesus even born on December 25th? You know what? The odds are 100, 1 in 365 that he was. I'm just saying. I'm not a real smart man, but I know that the odds are 1 in 365 that he was. So we have a 365 to 1 odds that we got it right and that today was, the, I mean, tomorrow was the day. So you know what? I, I don't know. Nobody knows. Is that some kind of, where does it say in the Bible he was born on December 25th? Guess what? It doesn't because there was no December 25th. We live by what's called the Gregorian calendar. If you've ever done any research into that, it didn't exist when Jesus was born. So for crying out loud, of course he wasn't born on December 25th. There was no December 25th. He was born on a day, like any other day. Could have been in June, could have been in July, could have been, some people say, well, it was probably in the spring because the shepherds were out there. You know what? It doesn't matter to me when it, when it was. And the Bible doesn't try to tell us when it was. It tells us when Jesus died because it was marked by the Passover and the Hebrew tradition of the Passover and according to the Hebrew New Year calendar and when that was. So we, we got a bit of an idea, you know, when that was, but, but even that changes all the time because it's based on full moons. Did you know that? But as for when he was born, eh, you got a 1 in 365 odds of getting it right. The, matter, the point is, are we going to stop and we're going to reflect and, and are we going to celebrate the greatest gift, the gift of Jesus coming? It doesn't matter what day it was. It's been December 25th for as long as any of us can remember. I don't know how, some old, how, how old some of you are, but uh, it's, it's been December 25th for a long time like a few hundred years. So let's just relax and recognize that this is the day that the church takes to celebrate that Jesus Christ was born. And that is an event worthy to celebrate. Amen? And we can build our whole life upon the fact that Jesus came and gave so much for us so that we can give to others. Is that good or what? Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Praise the Lord. We're going to close the service this morning with a, a special prayer wish, or uh, I guess tiding wish would be a better word, a tiding wish uh, to you that's being sung by Noel uh, Miracle this morning. And if we have the screen put up there, guys. You know, my wife and I have had the privilege of being part of your lives for many years, and we never take it for granted. We consider it an honor to be part of your lives, to be able to love on you, pastor you, uh, encourage you, uh, correct you, challenge you, uh, be challenged by you. Uh, we love all of it. And we are just so thankful for that privilege and that honor. And we want to just wish you 
uh, a very Merry Christmas this morning.